Welcome to anyone out there who's interested in financial data. It's your host, Andrew Carpenter, and welcome to another episode of FinTech. The podcast for financial professionals, everything FinTech and the future of data. Today, I will be interviewing CEO and co-founder of Tradier, Dan Raju, along with Intrinio's senior sales consultant, Chris Hunzinger. I will also discuss how to make a finance platform sticky, My special guest today is Dan Raju, CEO and co-founder of Tradier. Dan is responsible for Tradier's growth from an innovative product to its position as essential infrastructure, powering more than 200 investing platforms globally and serving some of the most active traders in the market. In his 25-year career as a technologist and entrepreneur, Dan has launched numerous successful online retail and financial products. Prior to founding Tradier, Dan was the Chief Information Officer of TradeKing, now Ally Invest. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. It's really, really fun to have you here. Um, can you start out just by telling the audience a little bit about Tradier? What does it do? Who is it for? Uh, who's using the platform and, and why was it created? Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, I've saw some. I've seen some of your content. Uh, you produce some really good content. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, my name is Dan Raju. I'm from the CEO of Trade, co-founder of Tradier. Um, let me get you a little bit of context uh, about the market, and so to, to explain what we do. Um, uh, see, there are roughly about in this country there are roughly about close to 120 million. Um, people who actually take their own money and invest into the stock market by themselves, not like retirement accounts and stuff like that, but people who take their hard earned money and say, I'm going to put it into the stock market and, and invest it myself because I know how to manage my money. And there is a huge um, um, influx of people trying to manage their own money. Uh, roughly around 25 million new people jumped into that market in the last, you know, four years, uh, close to four, four to four and a half years, right? So, so massive increase in people want to manage their own money. Um, that trend started in 2020, 2015, 2016, and still been still been continuing. And the pandemic has just put fuel in the fire, right? Yep. They're, they're home, they're connected, they're doing everything to trade <laughs> with no other way to get their money to work for them. Uh, you know, investing online has become, you see, you heard enough about meme stock rallies and people in the Congress talking about, you know, uh, companies and stuff like that. But this, the, the underlying is there's a huge retail boom. What Tradier does is it provides the infrastructure for all these companies who are basically trying to offer services, investing platforms and services to that growing uh, customer base. And we distribute that. What we do is, in our absence, what somebody would do is they would, they would, they would get registered and licensed. They will basically connect with a clearing firm, connect with exchanges, put all this thing together, and 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 deal with all the what I call as spaghetti is a polite way to call it. <laughs> um, um, absolute mess is probably a more uh, way to normal way to call it. What we do is we take all that 
burdensome clunk and just make it super simple as uh, consumable APIs. And we have enabled almost, we have, we believe that we have been the infrastructure that enables all these companies to basically get into the market and offer investing products. And the proof is in our pudding in the sense that we are enabling some of the most active trading platforms in the market today. So that's what Tradia does. That's our mission. Our mission is to take out the act of investing that is locked inside the four walls of the legacy old brokerage firms mm. and kind of unbundle it so that innovators and entrepreneurs and builders can build the best experience for the customers. And that's our mission. Our mission is to do that. So that was what we started the company in the 2013 timeframe. We started the firm. It took us a few years to build the infrastructure. And today we have grown to a size where we are supporting hundreds of these companies and catering to some of the most active traders in the market. So that's the radio story. Super excited to have hit the right place at the right time to some extent, but, uh, but that's what we do. Yeah. And the, at the end of the day, who, the person who's benefiting from making that spaghetti mess more consumable for developers and, and people who are building apps, is it, it's the, the, that 120 million people who are managing their own money, main street investors, is that Correct. really who is benefiting at the end of the day? Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, we believe, I mean, this is, you know, myself and the team at Tradier fundamentally believes that the way investing is being delivered is not being done um, for the right interest of the trader mm. at the end of the day. We fundamentally believe that. Either they are enticing them with zero commission, sing, simple apps that in most cases people grow out of and mm -hmm. they are not completely enough to do everything they need to do, or the legacy brokers who are trying to use that as a funnel to sell them other products, mm -hmm. right? And so we want our, our mission is to serve them genuinely, give them the best choice of tools. And that's what we enable hundreds of firms to build applications on top of us, the best data and the best execution, the best service. Um, we, we, so we want to, our intention is to serve that 125 million customers who are right now going through a graduation effect. They just came to the market and are looking for those choice value service and tools and the large firms just can't, can't service them. So we have become a, the larger middle player in the market for lack of a better way to say it. So. Right. And, and so you're removing a barrier to entry for the firm that serves them. They, and can you talk Correct. just a little bit more about that spaghetti? Like, let's say I wanted to build a tool for a trader to make it easier for them to buy and sell stocks. Mm. Uh, the first thing I'm going to do is what? Set up a server somewhere? Try to get licensed as a brokerage? Like, what what did that used to be like? Was it just a the spaghetti mess kind of prevented anyone from even getting started? Yeah, see, that's one of the reasons is that barrier of entry was so high. And so, you know, people either raise, had to raise like hundreds of millions of dollars to get into this space yeah. or, or, or basically, and, and, and they all build the same thing again and again. Right? right. And so, so some part of what we do is if you, if today, Andrew, to your question, if today, Andrew wanted to go ahead and build a, a trading platform today, what Andrew would do is Andrew would go ahead and say, I want to sign up for a clearing firm. Okay. Then after signing up for a clearing firm, what Andrew would do after that is he would go ahead and say, okay, I find a clearing firm. Let me get data from sources, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, and hundreds of these sources. Yeah. 
and then connect to the exchanges, send the trading volumes to them and figure out a way. And by the time you get to anything, you kind of have lost focus on why you started and that's the end customer, right? And so, and, and we kind of wanted to, we felt that if you took that burden away and let then somebody else who's closer to the customer will will create those, that choice and innovation. So I mean, if you're very similar to Stripe, I don't know if you heard, you heard I'm sure you heard of Stripe, what, what Stripe does for the merchant payment things and what Twilio does for the telecommunication industry, where the, all these firms have taken the legacy, either the merchant banking or the legacy telecommunication infrastructure and have created simplicity for people to build voice and uh, what I call as, uh, you know, buy and sell simple interfaces. That's what we have done. We have done that for, and we chose, and we chose, I live around New York, so I guess it's natural for me to think to solve that problem, but uh, we chose that stack to simplify, so. Yep, it makes total sense. It's very relatable to what Intrinio does with data, making data easier so you can, exactly. can focus on building something for the customers rather than a dozen API integrations all over the place or FTP transfers. And I'm, I'm looking at your website. <laughs> it's tradier.com, T-R-A-D-I-E-R.com, if anybody listening wants to check it out. And I'm just imagining mm -hmm. the, that spaghetti mess, setting up all these integrations, you know, taking you years and millions of dollars to get there versus the experience I see on tradier.com. I, I see an API, I see documentation, fast to get started. I can understand the products that I see there that would enable me to, to get set up to, to build a tool for those investors in, in a few minutes rather than a few years. Um, can you talk about that experience when, so people used to be familiar with the spaghetti and now you've got 200 plus of these firms who've come through your ecosystem. What is it like for them to get started with Tradier? It's fairly simple and straightforward. I mean, you could literally go to the website and get a key and start building something now, right? And, you know, you know, we, 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 we participate in a bunch of hackathons and, you know, and, and, you know, people build great investing apps in hackathons. I, I recently was a part of a hackathon here where somebody built an Alexa voice trading app on Tradio, right? And within, wow. in a few hours, right? So you could literally go and say, Hey, give me the price of, uh, you know, Apple, Tesla, whatever company he chooses from, it gives him a price. And then he has built within a short few hours, he almost built an interface that actually he could actually place a trade. Now, if you in a real world, he'll have to put some more constraints and, and to make sure that it's, it's being done the right way. But that's what we have done, right? We have we have another person who has actually built um, an, an app on top of us. In fact, if, if, if a person goes to a store, it tells him that he's in a he's in a, in a Starbucks cafe. And it gives him an idea. Do you want to invest in Starbucks? So, yeah. so they use location services and also in, see, I always look at them and say, you know, what is the picture they're enabling in that simplicity, right? To invest into the capital markets, the pride of the country is that capital markets, right? And so I think we have been the infrastructure that not only enables people to, to, to get into the markets in some amazing ways, but also the the ecosystem and the network to build those experiences that customers enjoy the most and so yeah our process is fairly simple you know what we have done is we have completely worked for years put that infrastructure infrastructure together you build an abstraction for lack of a better way to call it and provide simple apis 
And so, and, and you know, you can build, you can literally start building, a, you can build a simple app within 15 minutes if you can. You can literally build an ability to place a trade from the API within 15 minutes. And that's how simple we have made it. And, and what's, what's fascinating about network effect plays in general, right? I call this the network effect plays in general, is the idea of enabling actually creates products, not only that are closer to the customer, but most importantly, uh, most important is the iterate iterate much much faster, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And so, so and so, th th it makes better products. It delivers better value, and uh, and you know, and we have learned to we as a business have also learned um, to actually think of not in terms of think in terms of what exactly what we deliver, but think in terms of what how can we enable other people to deliver better than what we can deliver? So I think that, so it has become this amazing business where we think of ourselves as enablers and, and we are enabling a network. So over the years, what we have done after we have come to a, a critical sizes and we have hundreds of partners, and you know, we have also started building, you know, we, we also have our own proprietary apps, right? That mostly all, the, all of them are actually our partners who have who who basically have have said I we're committed to this relationship. We want to become a part of the app store per, or or the marketplace in, 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 permanently. And what these folks are doing is they are embedding apps that other people have built into their apps to create you know conglomerate apps, right? So and you you have this network effect plays where where where, where something as simple as an API can do so much. So in a way, today if you ask my, me a question. Are you in the B2B space? I would say yes. Are you in the B2C space? I still say yes, right? But at the end of the day, we are faceless way to deliver both B2B and B2C, if, you, if that makes any sense. Yes, you're enabling businesses to enable B2C, and it's like you're doing everything at some point, and it's all enabled because the developers can get started with you in 15 minutes. Like they're in that iteration that you're talking about is super familiar to me. We failed so many times. And if we hadn't failed fast and been able to iterate onto the next thing, right. we'd never get to something that works for the, the consumer. And I think that in the past has limited the tools that are available right. to traders. Absolutely. They were, Absolutely. They were cut Absolutely. off. I mean, how do you end up, how do you end up in a situation? Now, this is, this is the question I ask myself every morning. How do you end up in a situation? We are the largest market in the world. Mm -hmm. We have got more than 70% of the retail traders in the world. And you have five brokerage offerings of any notability, right? I mean, what is the reason? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, you can see the answer on your website. It's that API. It's developers can come in and they're the ones that are iterating. They're the ones that are building and innovating. Right. And that's the that's the real difference. Okay. So I get your platform. I love it. I've, I love APIs myself. I love integrating them. Um, but yeah, this is an ape. You're talking about this network. You're talking about Starbucks. I think you're talking about embedded finance um, is something that mm -hmm. your platform's enabling. Can you tell our listeners, like, what is embedded finance? And, you know, how does Tradier get involved in that? How, how are you making that happen? See, at the end of the day, we are kind of unbundling the traditional brokerage firm. Right? That's what we're doing. We're taking what a large brokerage firm does and break it up into small microservices or, or, or capabilities that people can consume and do whatever they want to do with it. Now, in a way, what we are enabling, that act of unbundling, Andrew, now takes the capability and you could now mash up, combine this capability into anything and everything, right? It does not need to be a financial services app. So 
what we found, so, so you know, embedded finance in general, embedded finance in general is, is the concept that a non-traditional player, somebody who's not in the, uh, not in the financial sector, providing financial services as driven by a motivation to keep that customer on the platform, providing end-to-end -end services in some case, and in most cases, actually monetizing their existing customer base, right? So embedded finance is embedding finance to enhance your product, which tradition, traditionally could have not be a financial product, right? And so and I'll, I'll tell you what has happened in the market. The traditional way for a lot of these content and financial sites in the market or destinations, right? Um, the current way of monetizing their customers through paywalls and ad-based revenues has just not been working, right? In the sense, what happens is you need so much critical traffic for CPM-based models to make any sense, right? And no matter, even if that made any sense, the only big winner is Google in that space, right? If you you end up really acting more as a referral agent for Google for to, to build to build revenues. And if you're small, those revenues don't pay enough to, to run uh, the platform, right? Number one. And traditional paywalls, you know, in this world of free content, you know, paywalls are a yuck, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. For most people, they just don't like it. I mean, they say, and so, so what a lot of firms, right, what they've done is a lot of content sites have said, hey, what if I can have the KPL? Let's say I'm talking about what's happening in the market today. And if I let people click and trade connected through an API, then the customer is on our website and I could charge him something as a subscription, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was the origin of though that kind of an embedded finance that really kicked in. Today, we have hundreds of sites who basically go ahead and do that. So one, so in, in this case, embedded finance is letting them monetize their customer base like they could never have done before. So that's one thing. In some other cases, you know, peer-to-peer -peer lending platforms, right? And they're basically saying, I want to keep my customer. He, he, I have touched the customer because he wants, there's, we want to, we want to support peer-to-peer -peer lending at an early age, but we don't want to lose the customer to a bank. So we'll offer banking services. Mm -hmm. We'll offer brokerage services. We'll let them invest. We'll, we'll travel the life journey with us and then keep the customer with us. So that's another motivation. So embedded finance, and then the same thing also continues if you think largely, right? Now uh, we, we, we've got traditional travel players, credit unions, banks, international firms. For all, finance is a way to monetize their existing customers better or keep the customers with their service forever. So this has led to an entire generation of embedded finance uh, where we are happy to be a critical part of that through our APIs on a given day. We are doing in hundreds of millions of API calls on a given day coming through our system. You know, we, we do billions of dollars of worth of transactions that go through our API in a given given month, right? So it's so we are we have so embedded finance. What I what I I st I, I think embedded finance is a network effect of of delivering APIs at least in the financial sector. And what I see, and it's another, it's, it's, it's last miles innovating themselves in ways that I would have never monetized myself ever before. Mm -hmm. And, but it's serving a purpose. It is serving all these companies uh, with financial models that they never had access to before. Yeah. I love the idea that, okay, there's 120 million active traders, but how many people buy coffee? 
in the United States. Now they're able to right. invest in, in the coffee company or, or get some sort of service that they didn't have before right. that your platform's expanding and it's allowing anybody right. uh, with a coffee right. shop to become a financial institution or you know a, a hardware store, anything. Uh, and you cannot take the liability or, or everything that's required. It's, right. all, it's almost outsourced to somebody's outside, right? Yeah. And again, it, it, the person who benefits at the end of that is someone who didn't, who was underserved from the financial aspect is now able to get the benefit of participating in the market because of the API. Right. It makes, it makes great sense. It's all driven from that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I think it comes back to 15 minutes. If you can get started building a, a trading platform and it comes out in that. 15 minutes, that that's so easy that it's approachable to any company, any company that has an audience. They don't have to monetize clicks per million through Google. They can help serve their customers right. and benefit everyone. So is this going to expand into the bigger social media platforms? You think like the big, the big players that you think of the, you know, the Facebooks of the world, are they thinking about embedded finance? See, they're thinking at, and at this stage, right? I mean, you know, the, 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 the the branches fall closest to the tree and eventually you need the winds for it to fall further from the tree. But you see what's happening was right now you see the early, I mean, right now it's embedded finance has become such a, such what such a hot topic to talk about right now. Right. You know, and we were calling it API finance seven, eight years ago. Uh, I, I guess we didn't recognize that we could have added a word embed to it, but putting that, putting that uh, funny fact aside. Yeah. I mean, you're only seeing that. I mean, you're, you're right now seeing, for example, PayPal is trying to get into the investing space. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of it, right? They already, I think they've made some announcement to that effect, right? And you actually, you're, you're, you're kind of already seeing that, right? You're seeing Facebook venture into the crypto side of things, right? Yes. I mean, so you're, 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 you're seeing symptoms of that. Um, and if you think about why a firm like that would do it, the two large motivations, number one, is how can I monetize my customer better? And how do I how do I become the end all be all for that customer experience? Right? Those are two of the larger drivers. So you are seeing the you're seeing adoption embedded finance for multiple reasons. Number one is monetization of customers, which is a huge driver, end-to-end -end services, which is the second thing. And also the traditional what I call as um, uh, diversity that is there in the in the brokerage in the traditional investing space. There is banks, there is brokerage firms, there is content creators, um, there is large banks, there is credit. You know all these players, the credit unions, all these players that are there, who were offering only one part of the service, and eventually the customer had to put all mm -hmm. this together. Oh, I'm 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 in a small credit union in in in, in Princeton, New Jersey. Oh, by the way, now I want to invest money, so I need to move my money and put it into, uh, you know, an E-Trade or, or a Schwab or some firm, and then you know I'm going to put some money there. Um, so, and then you know, eventually I kind of want to do something for my retirement, so I'm going to put money here. So what is happening is all these players are right now offering all the services. So the APIs are actually enabling each of them to become end-to-end -end players. So there, there, there is embedded finance adoption in the traditional financial sector space to expand their product, plus new players coming in for, for their own motivation. So that's the reason why you're seeing, you know, firms like us, you know, I mean, I mean I'll, I'll give you some perspective about it. When we sign up about 
three to five new firms every week at this at this stage. I mean, that's how much. And wow. and so and I think and I think the reason why it's also growing quite a bit of prominence is traditional large banks, right? The large banks are thinking about. A large banks are thinking about. Um, you know, if you, if you think about a large bank or a brokerage shop, right? They are in the business of delivering brokerage services. Right now, they have been delivering brokerage services to their own front ends, to their own apps, and just lock it down to them. Mm -hmm. With the adoption of embedded finance, they're still delivering brokerage services, but to a larger, uh, larger audience, multi-channel way. So yeah, all these factors are actually driving a lot of hype around embedded finance and fintech in general, but that's that's that, that, that's what's going on on the ground. Yeah, I think about my own experience and, and when it's distributed, I can't get a good picture of my financial situation. And I think it, the, the, I'm always looking to consolidate and I've seen tools and apps that I use, banks that I use offer new services all the time. And that allows me to consolidate and actually makes my user experience more seamless and it makes me probably a better investor because I can get a better picture right. of everything I'm doing. Yeah. And, and, and so, I mean, but in order to succeed in this space, Andrew, and I, I, I remember saying this before, you know, we as fabric providers, right? Uh, it's a, it's a very picks and shovels approach, but we as should truly believe that you have to do good to the customer mm -hmm. every time. And so see some part, for example, we are right now at the verge of releasing a crypto product, just distributing crypto also, not these four or five apps and websites, now distribute that across hundreds of platforms. When we are launching, you're gonna have 200 platforms offering crypto. But you know, we kind of want to do it differently. We're gonna let our partners enabled, we're gonna introduce the concept of, for the first time about, you know, transparency in crypto. I mean, we are saying all these platforms that are coming are driving transparency. We'll have to drive transparency, we, you know, we are not going to be the firm that's charging 100 basis points on trade. I think that's a total ripoff, right? I mean, why are why are we why are trade why are end traders paying you know 50, 100 basis points for each trade? And the reason why I can't understand that is it's like this: it's like an Uber car driver saying that my car is worth something because I'm carrying a billionaire in the car. For you, it is it's a ride. For brokerage firms like us, a, a trade is a transaction, right? Why are we charging the customers on the size of the trade? It's just, it doesn't make any sense, right? And so, so when we try to enable the ecosystem, and so uh, we, we're going to come up with capped, you know, fee structures and stuff like that, where you pay, customer doesn't pay, and, we'll, and we will not get into lending and paying interests and all that. That's not something we're going to do because so one of the stuff that we have learned in this API, we'll start off with an API, right, with this, with an unbundling mission. And now we are in the mission right now as a company to basically make sure that the, the network effect truly takes shape. And we that network effect should be should serve the customer the best way. And we're glad to be able to do it at this scale. Uh, but uh, I, I, do, I do, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. We, we went from a tech only play, a, a tech kind of enable, enabling play to now we are coming to a point where we, we have we have taken on additional missions as a part of a network effects. It's kind of funny. Yeah, <laughs> I I was going to ask you what's coming next, and you jumped me and told me it's going to be some crypto tools. But I haven't heard of <laughs> I heard of anybody that's trying to make crypto more transparent and reduce the fees associated with it. Um, do you think that's going to going to uh, hurry up and expand access 
to crypto trading and crypto investing uh, to a broad, broader base than kind of being a niche service? Do you think that you can help speed up that adoption through making it less scary, less fees, fewer restrictions? Do you think that that will spread the adoption? A couple of trends that I see in the crypto market. Um, Andrew, number one is regulation is coming, right? The, the Biden announcement a couple of uh, a week or so ago, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's amazing because it, 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 it's, it's really supportive to the crypto story, number one. So I think 2022, you're going to see regulation come in, not in terms of the actual nuts and bolts uh, controls, but directionally, policy is going to come up. Number. And I think... I think regulation is the best thing that can happen to crypto, mm -hmm. contrary to what everybody thinks, because it legitimizes the asset, yeah. right? It, it kind of, it, 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 I'm sure there's some pain and some drama around it, but it'll legitimize the asset. It's not going away, right? Number one, it has taken over as the number two most traded asset class in the mm -hmm. market. It's not futures. It's not FX for, for this next generation of investors. It is crypto. So. That's what a lot. So you're having the situation where, plus what has not happened in the crypto field is the, the young player, the young players, the millennials have jumped into it. The actual active traders who pump so much volume into the market on a given day. Yeah. One of the stuff I always say is 90% of the volume that just gets jumped in, pushed into the market comes from 10% of the traders, mm -hmm. right? Literally that's how simple it is roughly around if you think about retail trades in particular, roughly around 16 million trades occur in the market every day on the equity side. Out of that 14 million come from less than 9 million traders, right? And for the first time you're going to see, for the first time you're going to see, we are seeing symptoms of adoption by the active traders. So what I see happening in the crypto is regulation that legitimizes the asset. Um, active traders for the first time jumping in, producing a lot of volume that kind of stabilizes the market. A lot of volume generally stabilizes the market. And when when you when active traders come in and regulation come in, transparency will become a, a must-have, right? Number one. And and so yeah, I see I see that I see right now we are happy to trade crypto will move to, I want to trade crypto the right way. Mm -hmm. and, and I think so. And that's what we are trying to do with, with our upcoming product. We're, 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 so we're launching crypto, we're launching futures. Um, we're also launching a marketplace at trade, everything enabling the end retail customer. But, 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 but I think coming to the crypto aspect of this particularly, and that's it. I think, I, I just don't think it'll be us. I think the idea that, you know, you can charge on the size of the trade is going to be challenged. Right, it doesn't make any sense. It'll be challenge number one, uh, number two, and you know, idea of you know, you know, paying interest rates, high interest rates on crypto, always make begs the question as to how are these firms actually making money, mm -hmm. and so and and firms will be forced to reveal to the end customer how what is their monetization model, right? Particularly we're dealing with a young millennial market, so I think. I see, a, I, I see a good 24 months for crypto myself, right? Personally, having been in the space for a long time, I'm supporting hundreds and, and having a pulse of what retail traders. The main drivers are active traders getting into crypto. Institutionally, uh, people are trading crypto as, 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 a, as an asset class. Um, regulation, the graduation effect in the market, people who've come into the market, the 25 million traders are, are getting into more advanced instruments. That's also gonna drive volume. And so all these four combines, it's going to push pressure on 
fabric providers like us, and we hope to be the the beginning of that story. But I expect I really want all crypto offerings to. I mean, I, I'm not, we're not going to get every customer in the world. Let's be honest about it, right? But but I want. I, I hope we can trigger off that that uh, the race to transparency if I can. Yeah, it seems like crypto has the opportunity to follow the historical path of other asset classes. Like if you were a trader in the eighties, what were your fees? Like mm -hmm. it was probably crazy, you right. know, I mean, hard and there wasn't transparency <laughs> and now there's no fees, right. you know, things have come a very long way. And I feel like the other asset classes are, you know, they're going to catch up eventually. And if you can have your motivate traders motivation is to, to help the end users to make their lives better, you're going to lead us down that path, you know, get there before, right. for others. Um, so you're talking about investing and in active trading a little bit. I would love to, to, to get, to get your take a little bit on, um, what it's going to be like in this rising interest rate environment that we have coming up. Mm -hmm. um, you're talking about you know, transparency and active traders getting into crypto, but we've got inflation as well affecting behavior of consumers. What do you think the next 12 to 24 months are going to look like as interest rates start to creep up, which is something that a lot of these 25 million people that are just getting into the, to trading in the last few years. They haven't seen, haven't had a chance to go through that cycle. What's going to happen? Yeah, and this, it's a great question. See, this is my, I think, um, I honestly and genuinely think that, um, you know, the Fed has, the Fed has dragged down the interest rate hike story for way too long, right? I mean, it's bit, you, I, I, policy decisions like this have to be crisp. I do understand there are geopolitical dependencies for some of these decisions, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if you think from a retail perspective, right? Um, I think the Fed has dragged its foot on how uh, on uh, on effectively just uh, you know managing at least the communication at the least on 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 interest rate hikes, right? So interest rate hikes are coming. I mean, the Fed has announced they're going to do at least at least three or four of them in the next twelve months, right? Those are coming, and the good part about it is because of the elongated conversation around it. I think the market has already absorbed that shock, mm. right? I mean. Unlike before, where there's some element of surprise, it's in such a big drag on about conversation. So I think the market has absorbed, I would say, 60, 70 percent of the of that shock. In general, what 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 happens when interest rates raise up, right? What generally what happens is um, it impacts the dividends paid by technology companies. Generally, technology companies tend to pay higher dividends, and so traditional portfolios who are who are you know dividend driven. They tend to, when interest rates hike, they they tend to dump technology stocks a little bit. Mm. So all of a sudden, that selling pressure creates a reduction in price, and so I and I reduction in price and impacts the market. Uh, but now, uh, since that 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 absorption has already occurred, quite a bit of that dumping effect has already has already happened. I I do expect that there is going to be a slightly more tapered response in the market mm. to interest rates hikes. So I I expect to see response. None of us can avoid that, right? Sure. Um, but I think I, I expect to see a much more tapered um, and and you know inflation when you're dealing with seven plus percent inflation, you just come, you just cannot. Uh, I, I think 
Um, I think, you know, what happened was due in a pre-pandemic time when, infl- when, when it was around 2%, I think the, uh, the, the policyholders felt like there is capacity in the market that we're not using. Mm-hmm. And so they, they basically felt like a reduction of interest rate hikes was the right thing to, and I think, I think the pandemic gave them, gave the country a carte blanche to basically make it zero, just about zero. Mm-hmm. And I think it's stayed there for too long. But uh, but now I think interest rates are coming. What I see happening when interest rates get touched, I would see the or some paper response. Then the, uh, there's not a tsunami of market crashes that are coming. It's just not going to happen. Number one, um, number one, number two. The market is not going to react so much. Also, because uh, you know what has happened is um, about an year ago. 25 million traders had come in. They just had jumped into the market. They were they were responding to every news item that was there. There was nothing else to really invest in other than equities. Sitting at home, hyper connected, working from home, and you know people were you know involved in you know directional based meme rallies, and so you had a crazy you know 2021, 2020, 2021, right? But I think what has happened is. Those folks have graduated. I see a massive graduation effect in the market. In fact, um, I you know I did something with Kate Rooney on with, on, on CNBC about about this specific topic. Is I see basically a graduation effect in the market. Um, the shock of interest rates kind of basically tapering off, and plus in interest rates coming. So I, I see I see interest rates. Uh, inflation coming down because of interest rate hikes, a taper response to interest rates, at least the first couple of them are not going to have that much impact. But I think the market is going to benefit. I think uh, I think uh, 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 an increased interest rate, number one, plus additional regulation that is going to hit the equities market in addition to crypto, a graduated investor, and a lot more active traders getting into crypto, uh, and, 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 and the traditional active traders getting more what I call as uh, enabled with more capability, choice, tools, and price. Um, all of these are basically going to contribute to uh, a volatile, a volatile market. No, it's going, to, it's going to be volatile no matter how you take a look at it. But I don't expect to see any major market correction for a little while. Um, so that's that's how I see what's going on. Yeah, it's interesting to uh, to hear your take. I hadn't thought about things are going to normalize a little bit. We have been in a strange situation and environment for a long time. And if the market's already priced in some of the changes that are coming, we could actually see improvements um, when you combine the full picture of regulation, tools, different asset classes becoming appealing. The the market actually has a chance to to be the market instead of being whatever we've had during COVID. So I love that take. Now, I'll tell you one interesting fact. You might find it very fascinating, Andrew. So um, a lot of people don't talk about this, okay? A lot of people don't talk about this. And that is, um, you know, in the last one year, a little more than a year, close to 13 months, we have we are tracking almost 3 million brokerage accounts that got opened in the U.S., that funded brokerage accounts that got opened in the U.S., that are actually not based, are not coming from U.S. citizens. It's basically, let's say, a guy out of India opening a brokerage account in the U.S. markets. So one of the fastest growing segments are international accounts who are custodied along with you and me in the U.S. brokerage market. So now you're going to see this new, the whole idea that we operated for roughly, you know, I would say 30 years after the real online retail investor 
came into being, where only our, what happens inside the four walls of the U.S. has a direct impact on the U.S. markets, right? You're going to have, for the first time, retail investors who are outside the U.S., non-U.S. citizens, trading equities mm -hmm. and asset classes that are going to have an impact on the volumes in the U.S. market. So internationalization, so for, for example, you know, you know, we, we, we sometimes see fluctuations about a news item that will hit some local part of the of, of the world about a specific security. You and I just don't even hear it in the U.S., but you're still seeing volume adjustments, right? So you, one of the biggest trends that we see is internationalization of the U.S. market, U.S. retail market. It's called a U.S. retail market, but a lot of people are actually non-U.S. residents. So you, it's an interesting paradigm shift that is occurring. And the reason they invest is because they all get up and think about it. They get up in the morning, brush themselves with a Colgate toothpaste. That's that's a U.S. brand. Then they they, they put on a they, they they put on a U.S. brand shirt. They they, go, they they work for a U.S. company, and so these folks connect with the U.S. markets with outsourcing and all that. They connect to the U.S. markets in such major ways. They invest in the U.S. markets. So, um, and plus, obviously, the depreciation of the local currency is very bad compared to what you see compared to the U.S. dollar. So all these factors are driving. Uh, so you you have now an additionalized additional it's got additional larger a larger growing segment. It'll be interesting to see how they would react to U.S. regulation, right? So, so I think regulators think about a local domain, and now they're dealing with international domains. So. Fascinating. So another whole uh, you know tailwind actually for the market is that if there's tools ready for international investors to take part in the U.S. market, you just right. have that much more participation. Um, Correct. Wow. Well, I love hearing about it. I love hearing about your API. I love hearing all the tools and technology that's enabling so much innovation. Um, I can't wait to see all the new asset classes, the marketplace that you're launching, all these new tools coming coming online. Online. Um, it's been just an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much, Dan. It was a real, it was really awesome. Hey, Andrew, absolutely a pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. My Intrinio guest today is Chris Hunzinger. He's an enterprise sales representative. Welcome to the show, Chris. Glad to be here. Nice. Uh, why don't you tell everybody, uh, which mostly the moms of Intrinio employees who are listening in, uh, tell them uh, about yourself. Tell them your background and how you came to work at Intrinio. Yeah, certainly. Um, so I came to Intrinio uh, about two years ago. Um, had a pretty strong background in, you know, uh, SaaS sales and in, in tech sales, uh, you know, got reached out to by uh, one of our former colleagues, uh, Yates Sayers, and, and found it uh, to be a very interesting opportunity uh, to join a company like this on the upswing and, uh, you know, really have an impact on, you know, the fintech world and, you know, on our clients' businesses. A uh, little bit about my background. Uh, USF grad and, and have been in the uh, Tampa Bay area ever since. Um, and yeah, love it here and, and love working with our clients and, you know, helping them achieve their goals. Yeah, sweet. Sounds like it's raining on your end, isn't it? Is that that Tampa a little bit. right now, that little, monsoon season? A little bit of a thunderstorm, yeah. Nice. Uh, <laughs> well, it's it's great to have you here. Can you tell everybody a little bit about like what sales is like at Intrinio? Like why, 
what do we do? I mean, it's not like buying shoes on Amazon here. The sales process no. is a little more complicated. Tell, can you just t- walk everybody through like what our customers experience? Yeah, certainly. So, um, you know, in the fintech world, you know, it's not necessarily there, there's a bit of a commoditized uh, type of element to, you know, fintech data and, and to, you know, your standard fintech sales process. I, I think what we do a little bit differently here at Intrinio compared to kind of our competitors and, and kind of the fintech space at large is we really try and, and educate uh, people on what they're buying and, you know, try and, and kind of piece, you know, it's kind of like a, a jigsaw puzzle in a way. Like they have to kind of figure out how what they're building all fits together and, you know, what sort of data sets they want to buy to, you know, make it a, a, a full picture, right, to, to complete the puzzle. So that's part of what we're trying to do is trying to, um, you know, help them figure out what they need to do, how they need to, you know, maybe architect something or, or how they need to build something. And then, you know, we provide the data and the expertise from our side uh, to really help them do that. So um, it, it's a little more unique um, than some of my past sales roles um, in that, you know, it's probably a little bit more consultative. Um, you probably need to educate prospects more. And, you know, a lot of people that reach out to us are, you know, either just getting started or they're looking to, you know, build upon um, something they already have in place and, and maybe, you know, past provider or past data set was, you know, a little bit different. So, you know, we're really, um, really focused on educating um, and, and less, you know, traditional selling, I would say, right? And I, I'm sure um, you can attest to that as well. Yeah. From the early- <laughs> yeah. I've been in the sales game at Intrinio for a long time, too. I don't think I have. I'm not as good at it as, as our sales team, that's for sure. But I g- completely agree. Like, the education is critical. Can you talk, like, about some of the complicated pieces of data that, like, make that education so important? Like, like from contracting mm-hmm. to delivery to support, like it's not like buying mulch for my yard where it gets dumped off, spread <laughs> out, and then you forget about it, right? Like there's more to it than that. Like why, why is that education piece so important? Like what do people need to know? Yeah, and, and I don't know, you know, how many of our listeners have, um, you know, like we're doing a video series on. Uh, exchanges or on licensing now, or our blogs touch on this too, right? Um, There's there's a lot of like moving parts with financial data that are kind of um, unique to it, right? Like for example, if you're looking for uh, market data, there's roughly, there's like 20 exchanges where you'd be able to get uh, where US equities data runs through, right? And then you have the MBBO, you have the SIP data, but then you have data like directly from exchanges where you know they have per user fees or they have reporting requirements to display their data. And, and what we really try and do uh, when talking to our customers is, is kind of simplify that form, right? Or you know, give them an idea of, of how that works. You know, if you want to go this route, this is what it costs. If you want to go this route, 
this is what it costs. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of like education up front on the exchanges themselves. Um, you know how those uh, uh, type of providers or how those kind of venues you know operate in a sense. And then you know in addition to that, you know if you're looking at at stuff like fundamentals data, um, you know certain providers do that differently. Certain people uh, will will standardize things differently or have a different methodology. And, and maybe there's not one, you know, single source of truth uh, to that. So what what we're really trying to do here uh, throughout the process is, is, you know, simplify things for them, try and make things a lot more clear. And, and usually um, that, that really helps, you know, our clients or our prospects understand the space a little bit better. Um, and really that's, kind of what I, I see my goal as um, when interacting with a prospect, as opposed to, you know, just making a sale, like, you know, you're trying to educate and, and really try and be a resource to them, right? Yeah. What's the benefit to them if they're working with you versus a company that's more like, hey, here's your contract, sign it, goodbye. Like, where do they get to? What What's the benefit for their business of having that help of negotiating all this complexity with the exchanges and the contracts and the user fees? Like, like if somebody didn't work with Intrinio or talk to you, like what's their mm -hmm. life like? What's the, what's the, that benefit? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question, right? Cause there's a lot of places they can go to and, and just kind of, you know, start messing around with data and, and not really understand um, all the elements involved with it. Right. So I, I think what we try and do is kind of give them that full picture. Um, you know, with Intrinio, they've got, um, you know, roughly seven years of experience from, from most of our team in terms of work within this space. Um, you know, for me, it's too personally, but, you know, on, on the back end, on the support team, you know, most of the people that have been doing that here uh, have been here for, you know, five years or so. And I think that's probably pretty rare um, within the data provider market where, you know, maybe you have, um, like developers that are on contract as opposed to, you know, actually part of a business, actually part of maintaining a data set or maintaining, um, you know, infrastructure for something like this. So I, I think that's probably the biggest part um, around what we, what we do and, and what we provide. And then, you know, in addition to that, we're, we're really um, committed to, to our prospects as opposed to, you know, most other providers are just gonna kinda, you know, give them a feed or give them a data set and say, you know, here you go, have fun. No, we're <laughs> we're we're there from, from really start to finish. Um, you know, from the time you start interacting with us and, you know, testing our data to when you launch to, you know, after the fact when we're gonna help promote your platform help get you more users, help get you more traction. Um, definitely very unique um, in this space where it's, you know, often pretty commoditized, I would say, so. Yeah, I like that you mentioned the promotion part because yeah. probably even on this podcast in the same show that you're on, there's a customer who ended up coming on and telling us about their business so we could promote them. I mean, that's, their success is our success 
That's the mm-hmm. that's the whole name of the game. Do you see them expanding and getting acquired and going public or whatever? Like the clients that you're bringing in or you brought in over the last two years, like do they flower and go off and and knock down all the barriers and change the world? Have you seen some of that in your in the customers that have worked with you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of our customers actually uh, helped the the recent uh, investigation of, of congressional insider trading, for example. I mean, cool. I'm not sure if we can disclose who that was, but uh, <laughs> that that was an early one. Um, I remember helping to bring on uh, through our chat portal, and hey, that's another way we're different, right? People can actually come in and talk to a human being as opposed to like a bot, yeah. right? And that's that's how that person in particular came in. Um, yeah, I mean, it, especially over the last two years, right, with, uh, with COVID and with, you know, a lot of the trends we've seen with, uh, say, like the, the popularity of, of retail trading just exploding and, you know, all of the apps that are, um, you know, trying to capture a part of that or trying to, um, you know, cater to a certain piece of that. We, we've we literally been at the forefront of that because we're working with um, a lot of those companies in some form or fashion. So that's been um, really, really cool to see. Um, and, and even if we're not working with them, you know, we probably had discussions with them. Uh, or we're going to have discussions with them about, um, you know, adding an element that, say, um, their users don't have access to now, uh, but would like to, um, you know, eventually have access to, right? So it's been, um, it's been a blur, frankly, over the last two <laughs> years with COVID. I think a lot of people can, um, you know, understand where, where I'm coming from there. Uh, but, yeah, it's just been really cool to be, you know, um, you know, effectively on the front lines of it and, and in the mix of uh, this retail trading boom. And then, um, you know, we, we play a little bit on the institutional side as well, um, where, you know, there, there's been you know a lot of movement as well. So it's been really neat. Yeah. I love seeing our customers in the news. Like you're reading some article and they're like quoted in there and you're like, wow, they're really doing something cool. Or you like talk to a friend. And they're like, hey, I'm using this service. And you're like, oh, cool. We sell, we sell data to them. You know, they're, yeah. they're a client of ours and they're succeeding partly because they've got somebody like you helping them behind the scenes get connected. And then I I sometimes forget how many years of support uh, experience our dev team has that like, you know, they're back there setting alerts, writing code, improving things, speeding, uh, reducing latency, adding data, improving metrics, like constantly working on behalf of all those customers. Um, it's a really good feeling. Like if you could, if you, if there's a startup out there and they're like, Hey, I've got this great idea for a new financial app and they're listening Mm -hmm. to the show and they're like, not really thinking about data yet. They're like, they know they're going to need it. What what would you tell them? What advice would you give them about like why they should reach out uh, to us? Like, are we just a middleman for them or is there actually some big help that we can provide that person who's thinking, I'm going to launch an app. I've got an idea that can help traders. Like what would you, what would your message be to that person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would, um, that's a really good question. Uh, I, I would, 
probably advise them to, you know, kind of figure out what they want to focus on and, and what they want their, you know, core competency to be in terms of, um, you know, who they're targeting, right? Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of general um, fintech apps out there that you can, you know, you can go and, and trade off of, or it connects to your brokerage and, and you can do this. But if you can um, kind of figure out uh, where you want to focus, and then you can kind of, uh, you know, start figuring out which providers are going to get you where. Uh, if you come to Intrinio, you know, we're going to help you kind of sort that out too, right? Like, we're not going to provide maybe everything that you need, but if we don't provide it, we're going to say, hey, we have this awesome partner who can provide you with, um, you know, analyst and estimate data. Um, you know, maybe, um, maybe they need like NBBO data on equities. Hey, we have an awesome partner that can help you here. Um, hey, we need international data. We have an awesome partner that can help you here. So it, it's really trying to figure out, um, you know, who they're going to target, who they're going to help. And then, you know, from there, we can kind of um, direct traffic in a sense if they're going to come to us and, you know, um, give us the vision of, of what they want to build. And I think we can, you know, definitely help with that um, as opposed to a lot of providers are just going to, you know, give them the data and kind of go from there. We can help with the vision. Yeah. Right? I love that. I love talking to companies, even if they're not a client, that's what we do on the show here is like, what are you trying to build? Who are you targeting? What's your thought process? And it leads to the conversation of data to usually, um, and then we can either point them to one of these partners we've built because we've been in business so long, we know where to go. We can save them time, even if it's not us. But I think our mm -hmm. products are kind of built with that person in mind. Like we, we design options, you know, fundamentals, real-time market data, because that's where most of these startups begin their data journey is they get something that we've decided is important for most of their businesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, for sure. All right. I got to ask, um, can you tell everybody how you became a Packer fan uh, living in Tampa? Give them the story. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm originally from the Midwest. I'm originally from uh, Decatur, Illinois, which is right in the middle of the state. So um, that's actually the uh, uh, where the Chicago Bears were founded. I don't know if you know, that's a fun fact. Uh, Decatur, Illinois is where the Chicago Bears are from. So I, I would often get asked, like, hey, why aren't you a Bears fan? Mm -hmm. uh, the answer is my, my dad is a diehard uh, Packers fan from Southern Illinois, uh, massive um, Vince Lombardi um, guy, right? So he, he passed that on to me. Um, I don't have it hanging on the wall yet, but I have my uh, certificate or stockholder uh, certificate behind me. <laughs> yes. uh, frame that, but yeah. So, so that's how um, I I took a trip with uh, my dad to Lambo uh, last November, and I think he was more excited to go to the church that Vince Lombardi used to frequent. Wow, as opposed to the actual game. And I was like, okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense. So. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so that's how. That makes a lot of sense. I give you a lot of uh, credit for being a Packer fan from Illinois. That takes courage. And I'm glad you're here. We, we don't screen out 
perspective and plays based on their affiliation, but it just seems to be that we get a lot of Packers fans, and we do we're based out of. Florida, so there's a lot of Tampa in there too, and you know, the Bengals. And a Packers fan living in Tampa Bay at that, with recent history and um, yeah. past NFC Central history. Uh, for anybody who's an NFL fan listening to this podcast, I don't know how many are out there, but yeah, I'm sure there's a few. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for being on the show, Chris. It was really fun talking to you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Let's do it again. Hey, I'm going to do your rant today. I promise I'll try to keep it short. If you don't like my rants, you might want to skip this section or just listen to it as punishment for something wrong that you did. Um, either way. So today, what I'm going to talk about is the three ways that fintech platforms can become sticky for users. We Intrino doesn't build apps. We don't build uh, tools for end users. We provide data to hundreds and thousands of businesses that build tools for end users. And there's actually so many of these companies out there that want to build tools for traders, tools for um, retail investors, tools for professional investors, terminals, um, AI bots, you name it. There's everything under the sun getting built right now because there's uh, data available. Um, but every one of those platforms has the same problem. How do we get users? Why do people come to our FinTech app to use it? You can think of probably lots of FinTech apps that you use. Your bank probably has one, Robinhood. Um, Yahoo Finance is something that people think about a lot. That's an app too. A website can be an app. And I have talked to enough companies that are building these tools and trying to grow their audience, trying to get people using the tools. Uh, maybe they charge a fee. Maybe they make money off of trading, things like that. Um, but I've come to realize that there's three things that um, these fintech platforms do that make them useful to their users. And... Um, I'm going to present them to you today. Um, they are they can engage users, they can enrich their users, and they can entertain their users. So let me break that down for you a little bit. There's um, you know these three categories. So let's talk about the first one. I think it's the best one, um, the one that uh, actually creates the most value. So enrich. So if you have a fintech platform and it in enriches your users, they're going to be really easy to attract, right? People are motivated by money. And if your people are making money off of your app somehow, either usually by trading is the obvious example. If they're making money working with you, uh, it's going to be very easy to find users, maybe even too easy. Like I've seen a lot of apps that um, are successful at finding stocks to buy that are going to go up in value or avoiding stocks that go down or building really good portfolios that have um, higher rates of return with less risk. There's all kinds of tools out there that enrich users. And if you build an app like that, I don't think you're going to have any problems. It, the biggest problem is actually going to be getting bought out and then um, by some company. And then that tool goes away for your client base. But um, this is what most of the AI companies are after. They're out there trying to sift through large amounts of data to come up with recommendations of stocks to buy. Um, and this is what I think a lot of trading platforms do a bad job of. You see stories uh, all the time about fintech apps um, 
not being really helpful for retail traders. Retail traders tend to lose money when they go out and invest um, and they buy stocks and they try to stock pick. And that's why I see all this investment advice for retail traders to just buy ETFs or broad diversification diversified funds because the tools that are out there don't really enrich them beyond what the market returns if you just buy a broad base of of stock so in my opinion the top tier finance apps out there right now are finding ways to actually enrich their users um, not to have them try to follow meme stocks or pick winners and losers but they maybe have some actual source of alpha or way that they can allow active traders to make more money something like that that is the category of apps that are um that win the day generally speaking um one common play in the enrich category is to do options trading so um robin hood and all the other investment platforms do they don't make any money in those apps off of stock trading so they have to enable folks to options trade uh, because they can charge a small fee every time someone trades options contracts on their platform. So that's where the money is. That's where Robinhood makes a ton of their money besides order flow is when someone trades options, they can charge a fee. And so if you can enrich your users by allowing them to successfully trade options, well, now that's a very lucrative solution um, and a really great new emerging category of platforms fintech platforms do that they educate users they make options trading easier make people more successful at trading options that's a, a great example of how you can enrich your users so the next category i'll bring up is engagement and this is what a lot of apps tend to to strive for after they in, achieve some sort of enrichment some sort of value add so what do i mean by engagement this is a topic that goes across um software actually basically anything news you name it sports it's all about engagement and that's just getting people um to be engaged with whatever it is you're providing them and fintechs do this um by providing some sort of other information that is helpful to read so we see clients adding news um, analyst estimates reports on stocks uh, Seeking Alpha is a company that I think does a good job of this. They engage people who are on the platform. Lots to read, lots of content, and some of it's really useful. Some of it's really informative. Um, if you can engage users and get them to stay on your platform, you usually can find a way to monetize that audience, but you've got to be super engaging. Yahoo Finance, very engaging. Lots of people know about it. You go there, you can read uh, fundamental data. You can read um, increasingly other types of data there. It's very engaging to read about stocks if you're trading and investing. Tools that aren't very engaging, probably my bank app. Like, There's nothing there for me to do, really, besides check my um, savings account. I can trade stocks in there. That's cool. That's the enrichment piece there's a lot of engagement there's not a real good reason for me to go to my bank and and engage with that app throughout the day um, so that's the other category of things that fintech apps are doing is they're trying to get eyeballs trying to get people to come in and stay in their ecosystem and some apps start with engagement they start um, investors.com recently acquired an example of a very engaging site lots of content there lots to read um, and then what those apps tend to do is they try to find something else some other way to monetize their audience and enrich they can offer trading um, you've heard us talk about this on the podcast where um, finance is becoming integrated in all 
parts of our lives. But if you have an engaging platform, you can enrich your users as another way to monetize that audience. So we've got enrichment, we've got engagement, and let me get to the last one. And this is the one that I don't know how much I love this topic, but you can entertain people too. And uh, this is sometimes called gamification, uh, sometimes it's called gambling. Um, you can build an entertaining platform. This is a social media, right? You get a little hit of serotonin every time you click on something or you see a, a like or something like that. That's the entertainment factor of a slot machine as well. And lots of fintech apps are trying to be entertaining. They're allowing you to um, invest socially. This is a, a huge rising topic. And that's an entertaining thing, seeing what friends and maybe influencers or uh, someone in Congress is trading. That could be super entertaining. It might not be enriching um, or engaging in the in the sense uh, of quality engagement. I guess you could view entertainment as a as a form of engagement um, that's maybe a bit of, got a bit of a sugar high attached to it. But there are lots of entertaining fintech apps out there that are fun to look at, fun to read, um, that give you um, insight to capitalize on like how you're performing, how are you performing relative to other investors? Um, you know, are we able to show our profits, how far we've gone up? This is a trend that happened during the meme stock revolution and the rise of retail over the last two years, people staying at home. People have characterized that investment craze as people being bored and entertaining themselves by gambling in the stock market. Uh, and there's a lot of commentary out there about whether that's good or not, for especially for um, a lot of retail investors who are losing money. Um, but it's certainly entertaining. It's in the news. It's all over the place. So three ways that a fintech platform can um, can be successful, can grow its user base, can get people using it enrich users and i would vote for that if you have a if you have a choice you have a way to focus your um, development efforts in the app that you're building if you can enrich your users you're going to be just fine and that's actually the highest quality i think thing that uh that you could focus on because it's super sincere um it benefit your users are benefiting from what you're doing they're sticky they're willing to pay for it um and i think that's the that's what, what everyone should be striving for but you can also provide very engaging um content to your to your users and that gives them a reason to come a reason to stay on your app a reason to use it maybe a reason to pay for it um, and the last thing you can do is entertain your users and that's the that can be fun and if you find a, a, a way to do it that is healthy for your users that actually benefits them in some way go for it entertain them but um, what tends to happen is you pick one, you start there, and once you do that successfully, you're drawing a, an audience in because they're engaged or they're entertained or they're getting enriched, then you go for the other ones. If you've got people trading on your platform, they're trading options, for example, and they're making money off of it, well, they'll pay you for that, and you can charge a fee to execute contracts. Um, you can charge a fee to use your app. That's great, you're enriching them. Well, then what are you gonna do? The next thing you can do is you can engage them or entertain them. You can add that on, and you can go the other way as well. If you have a very engaging platform, uh, lots of people coming there, lots of eyeballs, and you can find a way to enrich your users by offering trading or investing or banking or in insurance, some other financial services, then your platform can grow and, and you can also entertain them and start that way. So focus, pick one of those and go for it. And if you're out there um, trying to understand the FinTech space, um, I think this is a good model to understand what that company's uh, core competency is. If you're looking at FinTechs and you wanna understand, understand them, 
they're trying to do one of these three things. So there's your rant. I hope it's helpful. Um, for those of you that didn't skip ahead to the other parts of the, the fun interviews with people who aren't me, uh, that's your rant for the day.